0: Well, good morning. Please take your Bibles, open them up today to the book of Exodus, and we want to be in the 30th chapter today. So you don't have too far to go, Genesis, then Exodus, Exodus chapter 30. Uh, We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10, and then also verses 34 through 38, and then we'll go uh, further into the book of Exodus. But today we're continuing our series on the tabernacle. Uh, The name of this series is that I may dwell among them. It's found in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, where God gave instructions to Moses. Uh, He told Moses, let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. Then we also have another reference up there, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, and truly our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, the good news is God wants to know us. God desires our fellowship. God can be known and you can have an intimate relationship with Him. Today we're going to see that specifically through the altar of incense, which, if you're looking at the pictures here, it might take you just a moment to acclimate your eyes and wrap your brain around what the pictures are. Uh, but the brightly colored picture is the high priest standing before. Um, the curtain which separates the most holy place from uh, the holy uh, place. Uh, and behind that curtain is the Ark of the Covenant. But before the curtain out in the holy place is the, the candlestick and the table of showbread. But then this altar of incense. And so the priest is standing there and uh, he is offering uh, prayer and worship and praise uh, before God's presence. Now, I think it was Friday night after dinner, I went out in the backyard, and the neighbors decided it was spring barbecue time, and uh, they have a wood grill, and uh, I'm going to tell you that was, that was kind of nice to walk out and smell that meat on the grill, right? Um, it's just something aromatic and enjoyable about that, but when I came back in, I smelled a little bit like wood smoke. Not necessarily meat, right? And, um, and so the smoke kind of followed me into the house. And so the altar of incense, you know about smoke, then it would go behind the veil. And it would enter into the presence of the Lord. And what we'll see today is that the incense is representative of our prayers, Now, the challenge here is this. For the Ark of the Covenant and for the veil, we've had a New Testament reference that said, Christ is the fulfillment of this piece of furniture. And so we know that it was a direct type. So then we can operate by the rules of typology, which we gave you in a handout a couple of weeks ago. Today... We don't have a verse that specifically in the New Testament says that Christ is the altar of incense. Now, it is true that in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, We have an altar of which the unsaved have no right to eat. But that altar is the bronze altar or the brass altar that was outside of the tabernacle building proper. It was where sacrifice for sins, the guilt offering, the sin offering, the fellowship offering, the peace offering, all those offerings were done outside. And so we'll talk about the bronze altar when we get there. But that reference in Hebrews is, that's talking about an altar, we have an altar, is not the altar of incense. So if you still have your hand out, we'll be in the middle column today uh, which is that we'll be looking at the resemblances, some similarities between the altar of incense and Christ. But we can also find some similarities between believer saints and the altar of incense. And so on the left hand side you have two different pictures showing it from a couple of different angles. Um, It was a a wooden altar overlaid in fine gold. And we can see the resemblances there in Christ and the wood and the gold again. Uh, Wood speaking of his humanity, gold of his deity. Um, But showing here that it has the poles in it so that it could be borne upon the priest's shoulders when they transported the tabernacle. Uh, Showing you also the the golden crown in the bottom picture that was above it. Uh, Once again, the the top of it, like the Ark of the Covenant and the table of showbread, is pure gold. And uh, we know that pure gold represents the the deity of Jesus Christ. We've looked at that in the last two messages. So if you're in Exodus chapter 30, let's uh, read the first few verses. All right. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon it of acacia wood, shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit in breadth thereof. Four square shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof, and the horns thereof shall be on the same. Now, in the first phrase of verse 1, what is the purpose of the altar? To burn incense. All right, so today the big idea is going to be this, all right? See God's initiating love and His desire to fellowship with you in the altar of incense. Now, take your Bibles, put something here, a ribbon, piece of paper, and uh, go with me to the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 8. So Revelation is the last book of the Bible. In Revelation chapter eight, verse three, we see this it says, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much what? Incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar. Which was before the throne. We know that God instructed Moses in the book of Exodus to make the earthly tabernacle according to the pattern of the heavenly tabernacle. So, here in Revelation chapter 8, we get a brief glimpse into heaven itself, where the heavenly tabernacle is located. And we see there in that tabernacle a golden altar. Now the altar of incense is also known as the golden altar. It's one of its other names. And there's an angel that has given much incense to offer it up with the prayers of the saints. So the incense then is a resemblance. It is an illustration of prayer. Now, if you need something more New Testament, let's go over to Luke chapter 1. This is part of our Christmas story, and maybe you'll understand Christmas a little bit better when you see uh, what is taking place here. But in Luke chapter 1, you have the story of the angel appearing to uh, Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist. In verse 8, Of Luke 1, it says, And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were what? Praying without at the time of incense. All right, or at the right side here, the time of incense. And then verse 11, And there appeared unto him, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So there's a strong connection here between this altar of incense and the smoke and the steam uh, being symbolic of prayer ascending before God in heaven. And so that our prayers, when we pray, praise God, they don't stop at the ceiling. All right? They go all the way into the very presence of God. Last week, we looked at the veil being rent from the top to the bottom. So there is no veil that would hinder our prayers. Now, that doesn't mean that we have the right to go before God and appear in His presence in our own name and in our own effort. No, we will find out that what we're going to see is this altar of incense is representative of Christ as our great high priest and his prayers for us. And so let's go through here today. Our first point is going to be this. Uh, See God's initiating uh, love and desire to fellowship uh, with you in the altar of incense through its purpose. So its purpose is to burn incense. And so as Zacharias shows us that many times happened at as they were offering incense at the altar, the people were outside praying at the same time. And Zacharias is a priest being an illustration or representative of the people. And you know that's what a priest is, right? Someone who stands before God, takes his message and goes and stands before the people, delivers the message, finds out what their needs are, and then goes back before God. And so Zacharias is bringing the needs of the people before God in his priestly service. And God breaks the silence of 400 years and answers prayer and announces to him that he himself would be a father, but that his son would be the forerunner of the Messiah and that the Messiah would be coming as well. So what a beautiful and powerful uh, illustration that God hears our prayers. Now, I heard Rick this morning mention a couple of times during the Sunday school hour, God likes to answer prayer. Yes, he does. And we're going to see that God loves for his people to pray. Do you find prayer one of the hardest parts of your Christian life? Right, It's that part of our Christian life that it just can't be done in our own strength. And it's not done in our own merit. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says that the Holy Spirit Himself helps in our infirmity, our, our weakness. We just flat out have a weakness. Prayer is just a weakness. We don't have the ability to do that. So the Holy Spirit shows us what to pray for and, and how to pray for it. And the Lord Jesus, as our great high priest, then brings our prayers before God the Father. And because of his merits, we'll be able to get an answer to prayer for you and for me. So what it is then, uh, as we see, its purpose here is to burn incense. All right, now let's go back to Exodus chapter 30, and we'll continue reading. All right, in verse 3, And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and the top thereof, and the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof. And thou shalt make it uh, unto it a crown of gold round about it. And two golden rings thou shalt make it unto it the crown of it. By the two corners thereof, upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it. And it shall be for places for the staves to bear it withal. And thou shalt make the staves of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereupon sweet incense every morning. When he dresses the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even. He shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall offer no strange incense thereon, but burnt sacrifice, uh, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall pour your drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it, that's the altar of incense, once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations, it is most holy unto the Lord. So it's purpose. All right? It is the, the way that the priest would go in two times a day to offer incense to pray for the people. Uh, it was not only prayers, but it was praise, as we're going to see in, in just a few moments. It was a place of worship. Now, If you have been following in our series, you notice that we have skipped like chapter 27 and 28 and 29, um, because what we're doing is we're following the pattern of the tabernacle from the innermost chamber, which is the holiest of all, outward toward the gate, the way that the book of Exodus lays it out, is as if man approaches God from the gate and goes inward. But we're, we're going from the inside out. So what has happened between these chapters is God has instituted the priesthood in Israel. And we'll look at the high priest in, in detail in a message because he is a type of Christ. So this is a priestly activity. The common Israelite could not just walk into the tabernacle and burn sweet incense before the Lord. Now this was reserved specifically for the priests. Uh, There was one king who tried to do this. He assumed the office of a priest and God struck him with leprosy uh, right before the priests as they confronted him and said, That is not your right. That is only for the priests, and he turned leprous in their presence. And so the priest then would come from the outside through the gate, and he would have to make several stops along the way. He would have to stop at the bronze altar and offer sacrifices. Um, Sunday school today for the kids was about the offerings, the sin offering, the guilt offering, uh, the peace offering. So they would stop there at the bronze altar before they entered into the tabernacle building proper. And they would offer an animal for sin. And the one who was guilty before the Lord had to lay his hands upon the animal as the priest slew it and feel the life leave that animal knowing that a life had to be given to atone for their sin. So sin was dealt with at the bronze altar. And then after the priest had blood on his hands, he went to the bronze wash basin and cleansed himself before he would go into the presence of the Lord. So leaving behind atonement for sin... He would go into the presence of the Lord to trim the candlestick, to attend to the table of showbread once a week, and then twice daily to attend to the altar of incense. This was a priestly duty, and this was done twice a day. And so it is representative of prayers. Now, prayer for the Israelites and a priestly function was dealt with at the altar of atonement, that bronze altar where God forgave their sins. Now our sins today are dealt with through Jesus Christ at the cross. Through his shed blood, the blood of his son, Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So when we go into then the altar of incense... We're not going in to God saying, God, please forgive me of my sins. It's not about that. You know what we struggle with as believers? And I say we because I'll put myself in this position too. We struggle with aspiring to the praise of His excellencies and focusing upon the glories of His person. That's what this golden altar is about. And when we go before God, we're always lamenting or asking God to forgive us of our sins, or we're not rising to the beauty of our priesthood. Now, we shared with you in the previous message, and you can look this up. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And it goes on to say that you may proclaim. The marvels or the wonders of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. So part of our priesthood is to praise God in our prayers. How does the Lord's prayer start? Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. as we were singing the songs today. The angels blush in God's presence because they know that he's holy. And as the priest went before the altar of incense, he definitely knew that he was standing in the presence of a holy God, but he was there praising and worshiping God uh, in holiness. So the Bible tells us now that this is the purpose of, Uh, to burn incense, which is uh, representative of prayer. The Old Testament saints, also the New Testament saints, the believers. And so our prayers then are based upon salvation. Um, But it is pleasing to God because it's already been dealt with. So when we come into God's presence then, our prayers are pleasing to the Lord. It leads to that reconciliation Uh, John chapter 14, verse 14, Jesus said, When you pray anything in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, we're accepted in the beloved, and we find that we've already been justified, so we can go into the presence of God for prayer and praise and worship in His name. Now, prayer is open to every single believer. This is what is a little misleading about some forms of Christianity, where you have to go to a church and then you have to have someone pray for you. Well, that's an Old Testament model. That's not what's presented in the New Testament. Because as we saw last week, that veil has been rent. And so the way into the presence of God is is accessible to every believer. Every believer can pray and go to God. Now let's go to Proverbs chapter 15 and look at verse 8. Proverbs 15 verse 8. Now we're going to come back to Exodus 30. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8, tells us something about God's perspective on prayer. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright, what, is delight. Can you put a smile on your face? God is happy when you pray to Him. Prayer is talking to God. Guys, married men, does your wife light up and smile when you talk to her? Is she happy that you're communicating with her and spending time with her? Does she let you know that that's one of her needs and that she appreciates that? Please do more of that, right? Yeah, guys, we're a little slow, aren't we? Yeah. I've been married 31 years, and I still get reminded, right? Um, But as believers, can I say to you that God delights when we pray? It makes Him happy. One of the frustrating things about being an employee is when you don't know what makes the boss happy. I almost lost a job one time. Uh, Because I didn't know what made my direct supervisor happy. I was a part-time employee in the automotive section of this retail store. Let's just say something like Walmart. And uh, man, my direct supervisor over hardware, he was so pleased with everything I did. Man, I tell you what, I would hazard my life to work for that guy. So then a full-time position in the automotive department came up. I applied for that. I was interviewed. I got the job, and about a month later there, I'm sitting before the supervisor, and he's like, I think I'm going to fire you today. But before I fire you, I'm just kind of curious. How could the supervisor down in hardware sing your praises, and I come down here, and everything you do is just wrong, all right? And uh, so I said, well, you know I don't have any motivation here. Everything I do literally is wrong in your presence. And so I had some faults. I was showing up late uh, almost every day. And um, so, yeah, I, yeah, almost every day. And, and so then I would take a little bit longer at lunch, you know, I was supposed to, not being a good example of the believer. And so for about an hour, we worked through things. And I realized my part that I was doing wrong and told him that if he didn't fire me, I would make amends to that. And he said, you know what? Thank you for helping me become a better manager. I will do better to encourage and to compliment you when you do something that's right. But if you need something, some guidance here, I'm still going to give that to you. And he did. But overall, it was a different relationship because both of us changed, right? but at least now I knew what pleased the boss. And so I could really strive and and make an intentional effort to do those things that were pleasing to him. Do you know where I'm going with the story? God is pleased. It makes him happy when you pray. Don't we want to pray more then? So God delights in us more. Do you remember the opening story about the neighbor barbecuing? Right? Now, back in Exodus, there's a key word, sweet incense. So let's go back there and look at the type of incense in Exodus chapter 30 um, and see the the description of the incense. Exodus chapter 30, we'll pick it up uh, down in verse 34. And the Lord said unto Moses, take unto thee, what, sweet spices, it and ancha and uh, galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall there be like a weight. So in other words, equal parts, okay? And thou shalt make it a what? Perfume. Now, I don't know, is the candle still burning back there? In the back of the auditorium, can you smell it? Some of you, how many of you like the smell? All right, all right, you do. All right, so that's my sermon illustration today, but we'll try not to blow it out. It'll probably just go out on its own because it's, it's nearing the end of its use. But the sweet incense would fill the room, and it would saturate the garments of the priest. Well, I suppose it saturated his garments if his prayers weren't like our prayers. Lord bless the food to my body. Amen. Okay. Um, so the longer he stayed, the more saturated he became with the smell of the sweet incense before the Lord. And as the high priest came out, I can imagine the other priests would be very aware of his presence because it was sweet unto the Lord. I imagine as he came out from the tabernacle grounds and mingled among the people, they could probably smell his fragrance that he had been in the presence of the Lord. All I can do is encourage you to pray. And the more that we spend time in the presence of Christ, the more that there will be a conformity to him. And we will become saturated in his likeness. We will become filled with the joy uh, as we give praise to Him. We will be changed. You know, prayer is not so much going to a reluctant God to get Him to change, but rather going before His presence and changing and conforming us, getting us to be like Him. And so prayer is a delight. Now, back in verse 10, uh, it says, it is most holy to the Lord, and it's not the altar, it's the incense. The incense is holy to the Lord. We're going to see later in in the message where he actually copyrights this composition of the incense. But the incense is fully belonging and appropriate and, and fit for the use for which God prescribed or God intended it. So Psalm 45, verse 8, is a messianic psalm uh, about Christ. And the first half of that psalm is about the beauty of of the Messiah. The second half of the psalm is the beauty of his bride, uh, the church. But Psalm 45, verse 8, said that our king, his garments are scented in myrrh. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ was anointed And as he offered himself on the cross, the Roman soldiers gambled over his clothing because the spikenard from India had been poured upon his garments. And that was a year's worth of money is how much that perfume cost. And so that's why they were dividing his garments because of the beauty of that smell. But you know, what were the gifts of the wise men? Do you remember? Frankincense and and myrrh. The myrrh and the frankincense. Illustration of of Christ in his high priestly prayer and his, his ministry to us. Just a beautiful thing to have a beautiful Christ going before the presence of God. So, you know... Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Christ prays for you on a regular basis. John chapter 17, verse 8, he said, Father, I pray not only for his disciples, but for all of them that will believe in my name after them because of their witness. And so as I was saying, our prayers really struggle to rise to this height of praise and worship. We usually get stuck in confessing sins, but let's go over to Psalm 141 and let's look at verse 2. Psalm 141 Verse 2 Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So once again, the association between prayer and incense. And then the lifting up of hands. What what is this when you think of the altar of incense and the lifting up of hands, what do you think of? The smoke going before the Lord. Does this seem a little out of place for a Baptist, for the pastor right now to be raising his hands? <gasps> oh my! Okay. But when we pray, lifting up holy hands before the Lord. So, Baptists, it's okay to raise your hand before the Lord. Amen? Because it's prayer that's going before his name. Praise in worship. Listen to what A.W. Pink in his commentary in Exodus, it's called Gleanings in Exodus. This is what he said. Instead of being occupied with our sins and Christ's sacrifice for them, we should be contemplating the Lord Jesus himself as he appears in the presence of God for us. Nothing short of this will enable us to occupy our true priestly position and exercise our joyous priestly functions." Why do we struggle with prayer? Individually, why do we struggle with prayer corporately? When God delights in it, when it's the beauty of our priestly functions, I think we can do more of this. So let's look at our next point as we go today. Uh, See God's initiating love and desire to fellowship with you in this altar of incense, not only through its purpose, but now also in its position. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 30 and look at verse 6 and we'll see where it was positioned. In verse 6, and it says, Thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. So where is it positioned? Right in line. Right in line just inches away from the mercy seat. Uh, It's interesting, the uh, book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 9, verse 24, uh, actually lists the altar of incense in the holiest of holies. Some people believe that the poles may have gone through the curtain, reaching into the Ark of the Covenant. So in that sense, maybe it was considered... Uh, part of the holiest of holies but when we look at it here it's outside of the holy of holies before the curtain before the throne so what do we what do we get from this okay Um, well I think we see here the the nearness of prayer to God's heart in his presence Does it seem like we struggle with the reality that we're in the presence of God when we pray? Does it seem like God is so far away from us? Well, here God is telling you, no, put it right before my throne where I meet with you. So that smoke didn't have far to go at all to get into his presence. And now uh, with the veil being rent, then we are front and center before the father and our great high priest is praying for us now let's go over to John chapter 17 for just a moment and we'll see this is what is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ where he is praying for his disciples and all future believers now, this is the night before he goes to the cross Verse 1, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. Isn't it interesting that the altar of incense at the time of prayer was about glorifying God, and our great high priest starts out his prayer, Father, glorify your Son, let me glorify you. Let's keep reading. Let's go down to verse 24, John 17. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. You know, the glory of Christ, he had that before he left heaven and came to this earth. He's God of all glory. The the angels in Isaiah falling down and worshiping him. Father, I want my disciples to see that. Do you know where we can really get a good sighting of God in our lives? Is in prayer. When we're intimate with God, He's intimate with us. And we actually see Him working in our lives. And we know that it's not just pure serendipity or circumstances or a coincidence. We know it's the sovereignty of God who answers prayer. And it leads to His glory. And He's praying that we may see the glory. Now, If we're a priest and we can go in, then let's offer before God the prayers that that glorify him. And this is what is, I think, uh, represented in the illustration of the lid uh, of the altar of incense. It was made of pure gold. The crown. I mean, even today, uh, royals or regents wear a crown of gold upon their head, right? And so the, the crowning of Christ's in glory and honor, and so it's before the very presence of God. Um, Hebrews nine twenty four, and let's turn there and just read that really quick once again, and just notice where Christ is today. Hebrews 9, 24, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God, what? For us. What was the psalm that we were quoting this morning? I looked at my right hand and there was no man. Right? Right? I have no one to help me, but then I cried to the Lord. We have a God who is on our side. We have a God who loves to represent us before the Father. We'll look at that in just a moment. Now, our third point, moving on quickly. Uh, See God's love and desire to fellowship with you, in this altar of incense, through its pattern, the poles. Uh, Luke 18.1, men ought always to what? Pray and not to faint. Um, the poles represented the fact that it was time to pick up the tabernacle, that the altar of incense went with them, that God was never unaccessible. God is always accessible, what are we commanded to do in 1 Thessalonians 5.17? Pray without ceasing. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you have to be praying. All right? What that means is your attitude of prayer and your attitude of praise and worship just never stops. You can do it in the car or on your morning commute. You can do it standing in line at the grocery store. Uh, you can pray as you're working in the yard. Pray without ceasing. Um, now, here's a technical little piece of humor that you might uh, information that you might find humorous. Uh, we always like to think in English that the shortest verse in the Bible is John 11:35. Jesus wept, but the shortest verse in the Bible is, in the Greek is 1 Thessalonians 5:17, because it's just one word. Okay? Pray without ceasing. And so now the timing of this, the pattern is morning and evening. Uh, The great prince of preachers who lived in the 1850s over in London, England, his name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He wrote a devotional called Morning and Evening, Spending Time with God. But the high priest would come in um, in the morning after the lights had been burning all night and he would tend to them. Uh, Then he would come back making sure after they'd burned all day that they were ready for the evening. And these were the times of prayer. So twice daily regimen. Um, And so this is a pattern that was observed day after day after day. So you might say roughly every 12 hours on average. The symmetry, the around the clock vigil. Um, But just once again, The necessity of praying. Don't faint. Keep on praying. Keep praying to the Lord. There's power and authority in the prayer of Jesus Christ and the effectual fervent prayer. James chapter 5 verse 16 tells us the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You can get answers to prayer because Jesus Christ is. Stands in the presence of God for you. John chapter 14, verse 14. Pray anything in his name. You know, this is why chaplains and police forces and in the military need to have the liberty to pray in Jesus' name. They won't get answers to prayer if they don't pray in Jesus' name. This is why when you pray, you should pray in Jesus' name. Now, it brings us to our closing point. And this is found in Exodus chapter 30, verse seven. But uh, we want to see God's initiating love and desire to fellowship with you uh, through its priest. And so let's go now to Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25. And we see something beautiful about our Lord Jesus, Hebrews 7:25. Verse 24, but this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to do what? Make intercession for them. Now, to intercede means to go to God on the behalf of another person. Jesus Christ lives to represent you before his Father. That's what he's living for. Why prayer is so delightful. You know, in a certain sense, it's, it's a reward for the Lord Jesus when he can bring you before the Father's presence. He can say, Father, this is my child who I died for. And look, they're enjoying our fellowship, because our fellowship is with you, Father, and with me, your son. And it brings him great joy. Uh, We had a young school father uh, stop in on Friday. Uh, He was bringing cupcakes or cookies into uh, his daughter's classroom to say goodbye. They were moving to Arizona, loading up the moving truck and heading there. Um, But I had been discipling him for several months and uh, shook hands with him, and then he just looked at me and said, Pastor, handshake's not enough. Can I have a hug? So we gave that man a hug, all right? And he said, Pastor, I don't know where I would be if you didn't spend that time with me and discipling me. Thank you. Man. Takes a burden right there. Makes everything feels light as a feather and worth everything to, to hear that. But can you imagine the joy of Jesus Saying, Father, your child has a need. Can we answer this, Father? Yes, you can. He loves to intercede for us. Now, so it's an everlasting intercession. This is what He lives for. It goes on and on. So as long as you're alive, Christ is praying for you. You know what? You may be away from the Lord. Don't give up on the Lord because he doesn't give up on you. He continuously prays for you. We all have those dry desert experiences in our walk with the Lord. But he doesn't quit praying during those times. Maybe he's even praying harder for us. But not only is it an, uh, an everlasting intercession, it's a mediatorial intercession. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. And you see that's the second point up there, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 2 and verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. Who? The man Christ Jesus. Now a mediator is someone who gets two parties to sit down and, and to come together. Well, when it comes to prayer, Jesus Christ is that party that gets your prayers which are inarticulate, maybe groans, burdens, sighs, the things you don't know how to express properly. I, I hear young Christians say this to me all the time. I really don't feel comfortable praying in front of a group of people because I'm afraid I don't know what to say. Thank you for being honest. I don't think any of us really do. If we're honest... Because that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the ministry of the Lord Jesus. To be the mediator. To, to bring us before God and make it intelligible. To, to get, it, get us together with God so that the prayer can get answered. So, new Christian, you can't pray wrong when you've got the Lord Jesus making it acceptable to the Father. Your sin was dealt with at the altar, the bronze altar. You're coming before the golden altar, which is your praise. It's your worship. Praise and worship him. Even if it's imperfect, God will take it and make it what it should be. So I think we see here the value which God sets upon prayer and the incense was copyrighted, that it could offer no strange fire. So let's just go back to that passage in Exodus uh, chapter 34 and we'll finish the sermon up. Uh, Chapter 30, verses 34 through 38. Verse 37, And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not... Uh, Make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall be even cut off from all his people. It's God's copyright on the incense, so to speak. Showing that there's only one incense that he accepts. There's only one mediator. There's only one way to God. So in a loving and kind way, if you're watching today online or maybe you have a different religion, I don't know. May I say to you that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He's the only mediator. You can come to God through Him. But God desires to dwell with you, to have fellowship with you, and you can see that in this altar of incense. So I close with an appeal and a challenge to the beautiful believers here at Calvary. Your priests before God, your sins have been dealt with already. You know that Proverbs says he delights in prayer. You know, the more that we spend time in prayer, the more we come away with just a sweetness about life about us. So I appeal to you, pray more. It was a delight to have five or six of us in prayer time this morning. We just invite you, come out and pray. Pick up the phone this week, pray with another believer on the phone. Father's house is a house of prayer. Grab a brother or sister in Christ before you leave here today. Walk off to a room and have a prayer time together. Spend time in prayer. It's pleasing to the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you today to find your acceptance with God in Christ. You can't be at the golden altar until you've been to the bronze altar. And it was there that the sin offering and the guilt offering was offered to God. Christ is your mercy seat. He's the propitiation for you.